Built Not Born, episode 51. I'm Joe Chicarone. Today's guest is Drexwell Seymour. Drexwell Seymour is the best-selling author of the book, Rise Up and Take Your Position. Drexwell is also a certified public accountant and managing partner of his own firm. He is also a radio host of a weekly financial show called Financially Speaking and hosts his own YouTube channel, Drexwell writes to inspire and influence others to overcome their setbacks, overcome systematic injustice, and find their purpose in life. It was so great to speak with Drexwell. He hails from a small island on the Turks and Caicos. He has an awesome story of perseverance and strength, how he battled through being bullied and teased, and how he suffered limited opportunity and what he calls terrible colorism that actually at one point made him try to bleach his skin a lighter color. He has such a great story to tell. I was so happy he was able to join us. So thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the follow button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Drexwell Seymour, best-selling author of the book, Rise Up, and take your position. And remember, life is built, not born. Drexwell Seymour, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Drexwell, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? Thanks again, Joe. So I am a certified professional accountant. I, I have my own accounting business. I've been in business now since 2013. I've established my accounting firm. And I also do property management. However, the, I think the real thing about me is that I am a, I'm also a writer. That's, that's my real passion. I write articles on a weekly basis. I also host a YouTube channel. And I host a financially speaking show. And... That's basically me in, in a nutshell, other than the fact that I grew up suffering from inferiority complex. And because of all of this, I am a better person that, than I was many years ago. I want to get into how you wound up writing your book, Rise Up and Take Your Position, your YouTube channel, how you reinvented yourself, how you overcame your setbacks. You do a lot of writing on people finding their purpose in life, systematic injustice, how people can live in a world of injustice and how they can overcome that and overcome setbacks. And I want to do, get into all of that great work you've done. But Thank before you. we do that, I want to start back all the way from the beginning. Where did you grow up? So I grew up on one of the smallest islands in the Turks and Caicos Islands. It's called South Caicos, just nine square miles. I, I was there for 16 years until I went to Ohio to go to college. Who was the biggest influence when you were a kid? Honestly, I, I would say my grandmother, that was, she was the most, because she listened to me, she showed love, she cared. I would say she was the biggest influence in my life. What would be your most powerful memory of your childhood in Turks and Caicos? Well, my, my childhood was very painful to me. So the most powerful thing to me is, it's not positive, it's negative, it's just suffering from just suffering from who I am. I, I didn't love myself. I didn't like myself. So 
that has been the most powerful thing for me. It's, it's not positive, but that's the most powerful memory, not loving myself. At what age did you start to realize that, hey, I'm not happy with who I am or the way things are going? What, what, what's your earliest memory of that? I think from the time I probably was about six to seven. That's my earliest memory because I think I was teased a lot. So, and that continued, you know, throughout my life. And so from age, from age six. From your perspective, where did all this teasing and people making fun of you come from? Well, um, even though I'm from an island where the majority of us are, are black, I'm very dark. And so the teasing come from me with my complexion of my skin. And also I used to be called ugly most of my life. And so that's just what I was being used to being called. And um, I'm not sure where it came from, but based on my physical appearances, I was, I was teased. That's hurtful for a 30 or 40 year old person, let alone someone that's six, seven years old. What was that like? I mean, what's going through your mind when people are being that mean and unkind? You know, at that time, I, d- I didn't know any better. I mean, because it was common that people treat you differently if you're very dark. But on my mind, I used to think, wow, am, am, was I a mistake? Why am I, why did I exist? Why was, why did God allow me to come into this world? So all those things was in my mind and it made me felt, it made me feel unworthy. It made me feel like I was nobody. It, I, I, I just felt insignificant, really. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That had to be so hard. If you could think of that time frame, what was the lowest point? Is there a moment where you're like, wow, it doesn't get any worse than this? Well, I think, well, I always wanted to be an accountant and my mother and my father didn't have much growing up. So my father was a carpenter and my mom worked at a fishing plant, just, you know, peeling, cleaning fish for export. I think the lowest thing was trying to see how I could get into college. And I'm going to the plant to work with my mom in the fishing plant. So the, I think that's probably was one of my lowest point. And, and I'm thinking, wow, I'm going to end up in the fishing. There's nothing wrong with that because everybody has a role to play in society. But I think that was one of my lowest points before I went, back, went off to college. What made people think you couldn't be an accountant? Go move on, have your own business, start your own firm, write your own book, have your own YouTube channel, <laughs> all the stuff you've accomplished now. Where do you think that came from? Or that, that people well, it, go ahead. It came from our society. I think because at that time most people didn't go to college. Mm-hmm. There were very, very limited scholarships. Um, the government of the country provided scholarships, but we didn't know much about it. And maybe this is a myth, but we we felt at that time it's, it was who you knew. And so my family was more like the low class. And so all of that, I think that's where it came from your senior year, at what point do you realize, not only am I not working at the fishing business, I'm going to college. And not only am I going to college, I'm going to the United States for college. I'm going to Miami University in Ohio, which is an outstanding school. Where's that come into play? Honestly, that point came when I actually received a scholarship. What happened was that there was a, a tourist family who visited Turks and Caicos on a regular basis, and they went to this college in Ohio. And so they left some funds behind at the school. And, and the stipulation was they'll provide at least four to, to, Turks and, to Turks and Caicos Islanders. And so I applied. I'm still not thinking I was going to get it. And so when I got the letters, you know, I was the successful recipient. That is when everything became a reality for me. 
when you got that letter, and now it's all you go on the computer and all these confetti things <laughs> pop out when you get into your college. But back in the day when like you and I went, you got a letter, you got an old school letter and you got you a letter, the mailbox, yes. and you got to rip yes, it open yes. and look. So when you open that letter and you read what that says, that not only are you accepted at that school, you got the scholarship. What, what went through your mind? I was. It's a moment that I probably could never describe. It was unbelievable. I, I was very thankful. Of course, I was very, very excited that I'd be able to have an opportunity to become an accountant. So I was, it's it just excitement really was the wow. moment for me. So do you remember the moment when you got on the plane to leave Turks and Caicos to fly to Miami? Yes, I remember. My sister took me as far as Miami, Florida, and then I took connecting flights. So I remember the moment when she took me. That was my first time to the United States. So it was, it was another milestone for me. What was your first impression of the States when you landed in? What did you think? Well, I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. Even Ohio, most people say they don't like Ohio, but I love Ohio because that's like my second home. Uh, so I, I was very impressed. So the first impression was the lasting impression for me. Awesome. And when you were in that process of undergrad and graduate, how did the inferiority complex affect what you did? Did that get worse or better? You know, the strange thing is that while I was away for those four and a half years, I was okay. I, uh, because everybody appreciated me who I was and I didn't, that didn't even bother me because no one called me, you know, ugly, black or anything like that. So no one called me names. And so that, so somehow that, that didn't bother me. But when I returned home, the whole process started again. So you actually leave, you go to a great school, you got your degree, you're blending in, you're making friends, you're finding your way and you come back and you come back to that same level of nonsense that kind of is just so negative. That, so what happens there? What goes through well, when I came back, there was some positivity because people were excited, you know. But overall, I, I would say the, the attitude didn't change because, of course, you're back and you're still with the same people. And, and so if they haven't changed, then nothing will change. So at what point do you decide that I'm going to start my own business? And at what point did you start writing, too? So you, not only did you start your own business, but then you start writing. You wrote a book. Where does that creativity come from? And I guess even the confidence to do that creativity. A lot of people have creative ideas and they're just scared to share them. I know people that have journals full of poetry that no one's ever seen it but them because they're afraid to share it. They're like, I'm not putting this out there. I'm not hitting publish on Facebook or starting a website. And like you do drip, drip an article out each week. Like that takes courage to do that, to put yourself out there. So how did you go from someone thinking that they had low self-esteem and low self-confidence to actually not only doing something creative, but sharing it with the outside world. Where does that come from? You know, it was a lengthy process and it was only until about four years ago that I started writing. It was a lot of encouragement from my family, particularly my wife, because even though I had the MBA, I had a lot of experience. I started the business. I still was suffering because in my mind, I'm just thinking what I was told. So I felt inferior throughout my life until about four years ago. And then after a, a, a while, it, it got to sink into my head, listening to my, getting encouragement from my family. Drexel, you're somebody, doesn't matter what people say. And then finally, like a light bulb went off my head. You know what? My, my wife is right. My family is right. 
And then I say, wow. And so this is when I started writing. And then I realized that there are other people who are more than likely who are going through the same thing or similar situations. I, and I say, well, and they might not know what to do. And so I started writing basically to, to encourage and influence other people that, you know, they're not a mistake, that there is ex- the existence in this world is for uh, a purpose. And I believe that we are here just for ourselves. We're here to help others. And so that's when I started writing really to encourage other people, not about me, because I don't want people to go through what I went through. Mm-hmm. If I had known what I knew now, I, I could have started earlier, but mm-hmm. it took me many, many years to, to, to get out of that, that negative cycle. Yeah. Everyone wishes they started 15 years earlier, right? But you know, like, there's you know. a great, one of my favorite quotes on the planet, and I have no idea who said it, is uh, the best time to begin was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like right yes. now, right? Now, yes. You can't start 20 years ago, start today. I know, I know. Absolutely. I agree with that. I like that quote. So writing-wise, do you find how it clarifies your thinking? You have a couple ideas bouncing in your head, but if you write it down, then you edit it and you tighten it up. Like You really have to prove to yourself almost what you believe first. And writing is the best way to do that, where you write a thousand words and then like you tighten it up to 700 words, 500 words, whatever it is. Like This is what I believe. You don't write because you have something to say. You have something to say because you wrote something. You wrote it down and your thoughts clarify as you write. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense what you're saying. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. You yeah. don't know what you're going to write till you start writing, right? And the first 200 words are just garbage. And But yeah. then that magic sentence comes at the 201st word, right? Yeah. And the first 200 words, you just delete and no, thank God, no one will ever see them because they'll take my computer from me. And yeah. And then like from word 201 on, you're on a roll and there's that magic article. You just got to get the garbage out of your head first. Yeah. When the magic comes, you tighten it up and well, wow, this is what I believe. That wasn't in your head. It just, you like birthed that almost as you wrote, right? That's exactly how it works for me, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I have nowhere near the success you did. I started a blog like maybe 10 years ago and I, mm-hmm. I maybe have 200 articles out there on like LinkedIn or on my website and it starts off horrendous and I still don't think I'm a good writer, but like, you look back at your earliest writing, I'm like, this is horrendous, but it was the best you could do at that time, right? Yeah. And then- like, Yeah, you're right. It's a, that, that was me 10 years ago. And I, I was, and you see it slowly evolve. You see what you're thinking back at that time, right? Yes. As time and, goes by, it gets better and better. And how scary is it to publish? And granted, maybe four people read the first article I've ever wrote, and I was one of them. And when you hit publish, how heavy is that publish button? When you send it out into the world, you know you can't get it back. To me, that's scary. Like That takes courage to do that, even though no one's going to read it. What do you think? You're right. It, it, It takes a lot of courage. But once I made up my mind to document this book, to, to document these stories of motivation for the individuals. I believe that it was going to be a success. And rather than, I procrastinated for about a year or two before I actually published it. I say, you know what? After I saw one of my close friends publish his book, I say, wait a minute, I might as well do mine now too. And I published it with the hope that it was going to be successful and bring about changes in the lives of other individuals. Mm-hmm. The book's called Rise Up and Take Your Position, available on Amazon. How many blog posts did you write before you realized, you know what? I got a book. I got a book in here. I wrote probably about 100 blogs, at least 100. Yes. 
Then when you wrote the book, people learn so much when they write books. What was the biggest lesson that you learned from, from that finishing the book process? What did it teach you when you wrote that and compiled all your best knowledge into one place? Well, it, what it taught me is that don't take life for granted. There's so much inside of you that you didn't even realize what you have until you release it. That's what finishing that book, completing that book taught me. Sometimes we think this is not much. Is this nobody going to read this or this is not anything different from anybody else. But when you read it and you get the reviews from people and, and you get the feedback, it just tells you that you have a lot of in store inside of you. Not only do you have the book, you got the radio show, Financially Speaking. When did that start? So the Financially Speaking show, that started about seven years ago. Okay. It's on the national radio station in, in the Turks and Caicos. Every Tuesday at 11 o'clock, I, I have a show. What are the main topics you cover on the show? So we cover a variety of issues on the financial speaking, personal finance, oh. um, government, government finance. And we end up talking about other issues other than finance. We end up talking about health issues as well, because what I stress on the show is that everything is financially impacted. Mm-hmm. So I cover a variety of issues, but I try to stick to the element of finance, but I, I cover health, politics, mm-hmm. every, anything. Personal finance is so, and it's going to sound contrived, personal, like it's so emotional. Money's emotional, right? There's so much about buying just impulsive. And it's amazing. I have kids in the school system now. Why don't you think personal finance is taught at a deeper, more impactful level in the school system than it is now? I, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know why it's not. I, I think, yeah, I think we just take for granted and we just continue to teach the same thing, the algebra, the math, the mm-hmm. English. We just those are the standards. We don't want changes. But as time goes by, and, and now that we are adults, we realize that we are failing because of lack of financial intelligence. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it takes these things for us to realize we need to teach it, but most people do not want to change. So they just continue with the same curriculum in the school. And, and I think that's why nobody's saying anything about it. And so nobody does anything about it. And, and this is definitely a generalization, but I've seen it more times than I haven't seen it where kids take the habits of their parents. So if you have both parents smoke, there's an exponentially greater chance that their kids or some of their kids are going to smoke. Does that make sense? You have both oh, parents that are like big drinkers. They grow up in a culture where they drink all the time and then there's always whiskey and beer. Like The kids usually are really big drinkers. And I found the kids whose parents are horrendous with money Growing up, usually the kids are horrendous with money. Like they just spend, they are in debt, no problem with the equity line of credit, their credit cards are maxed out. They have two car loans. They just spend, 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 debt, debt, debt. Because their parents did that. Does that make sense? And I have some parents- That makes that, a lot of sense. Have you seen that from your personal experience as an accountant? Oh, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Every day in our lives, I see that where children are just doing what their parents did. That's the environment they grew up in, that's what they know about. They may know better, but somehow it becomes part of their their lives. And so they just follow the footsteps of their of their parents. And that was like normal for them in their childhood. Everyone has their own version of childhood and it was normal for them. And it's just nothing wrong for doing just following the footsteps. It's like that path's already paved and it's so easier to go down the path than to blaze your own. How about you have a film? Tell us about the film associated with the book. Okay, so the film, I we did a short film. I, I got someone to produce a short film for me. And we have several actors. The film is called um, Rise Up, Nobody's Better Than You. So 
what I wanted to do, I wanted to get people to get a teaser of the book. And so the film has some parts of the story of the book. It's about me growing up, um, not loving myself, being tempted perhaps to, to use some skin bleaching cream. And then I return home from college and people still acting different. So that's what the book is. That's what the film is about. It's more about a synopsis of my life so people could get a feeling of what to, to take in the book. So there was a point in time where you actually said you're using some skin bleaching cream to not be not be teased as much because you said you, the kids said you were what so dark is that the reason why yes yes uh, is that something you did once or- i i did it i only did about once or twice but i was tempted to to do it but i discontinued i only did about once or twice okay where did you get to the point where your confidence got so strong that not only don't i have low self-esteem i have strong self-esteem i have a purpose I'm not afraid to be who I am. At what moment did you feel like, you know what? I don't care what people say. I'm, I'm my own person. I'm blazing my own trail. It was just the same time four years ago when I started writing. That's when I started building up my confidence level. About four years ago. Um, so pretty recently, huh? Yeah. So four, yeah, I'm 52 years old now. So it was when I was 48. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I want to shift gears here a bit to a part of the interview we call Share Your Secrets. So our listeners can get to know you a little bit more as a person. Looking back, all the things we spoke about, what do you think the biggest challenge you ever faced was? I think, I think the biggest challenge to me was just being afraid to step out. I think that's the biggest challenge for me, being, being fearful of, of what people say, being fearful of failing, just being fearful of the unknown. I think that was my biggest challenge, being, just being afraid. Because if I was not afraid, I believe... I would have been in a better position many years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then being afraid brought you to a certain point where it gave you a whole nother journey. Maybe you took the long road to get there, but where you are now without that fear and all the struggle you went through, you may have not had a book and a blog and a radio show and a film, you know, that's it, true. you may have not got there. That's true. You yeah. got, that's a good point. The valley might have been deeper than you liked it to have been, but I don't think the mountaintop would have been as high. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Because that reminded me of one of my friends who told me, say, Draxwell, because of what you went through, you are who you are today. That's a good point. You, you. Very impressive. Looking back of everything you went through, all those setbacks and failures you've had, what failure of yours set you up most for future success? Do you have a favorite failure? My first main failure that I could recall is when I failed. I think it set me up. When I failed my first test in college, I, I did economics. To me, I thought I was going to, of course, that was new to me. I didn't know much about how college works and stuff like that. And because of that failure in my exams, and I didn't want to get kicked out of school, it made me to change my study habits. It made me to pay more attention and, and understand what was being taught to me. And because of that, I was able to, to get my degree with the magna cum laude. Because of that, I was able to get my degree. And because of my degree, I was able to get my business. And so I would think that was the main thing for me that, that turned me around. How about now with being an author, writing a weekly blog, having a weekly radio show, five kids, your own CPA firm, when you need to clear your mind and recharge your body, 
What do you do? Well, that's a good question. I'll be honest with you. Writing is my therapy. So the writing aspect is not a burden on me. So my, of course, raising a family, having my own business could be very stressful. And honestly, I clear my mind through the writing. It's like a form of therapy. That's awesome. No, that's fantastic. Being an author, most authors are really big readers. What book influenced your life or changed your mind more than any other? Do you have a favorite book? My favorite book is The Purpose Driven Life. That's my favorite book. I I read that book at least three or four times. Mm -hmm. I I really love that book. That's such an impactful book. What's your takeaway there? If you had to boil that book down to a couple bullet points or a, a takeaway, what would it be for you? The book in itself, the name, A Purpose Driven Life, basically saying you have a purpose in life. Mm-hmm. So that all that that in addition to the encouragement I got from my family, reading that book also made me realize too that everybody has a purpose. Most high achievers that are very busy like you that have a lot going on usually have a routine either to start their day or end their day. What's either the first 60 minutes or last 60 minutes of your day look like? Do you have a routine to either wind down your day or to start your day? The first thing I do, I get up, I pray, and then my wife and I make sure we prepare the kids for school, and then I'm off to work. And then I end my day with the same thing. I I, I, I shouldn't be taking my work home, but I end up taking work home. I work at home, pray, and then I go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. (laughs) Rinse and repeat. Everything you've accomplished from growing up with self-confidence issues, low self-esteem, going to the States, writing a book, radio show, five kids married. What accomplishment are you most proud of? You know, I think the most thing I'm proud of is really being a father to my children. I have seen too many children who do not have fathers in their home and And I believe their lives could have been better if only their fathers were there. Mm -hmm. And so to me, I think I'm a great father. I have a great relationship with my five kids. I think to me, I wouldn't, any other accomplishment I receive, it would be being a father to to my children. That's awesome. How about with all the stuff you got going on, as you look out to the rest of 2022, what's uh, the most exciting project you're working on now? The most exciting project. This this may not be a project, but so I'm on dialysis, right? I've been there for really? yeah. I look great. I, could, I, I have no idea. You look fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's been five and a half years now, and I would love to be able to to get a kidney transplant. Wow. Now I don't know. I don't know if that's considered a project. I am trying to see what I can, but that if I could get, that'd be the most exciting thing for me, actually, is, 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 is getting a kidney transplant. Are you on the kidney transplant list right now? The thing is, we don't have, we don't have a list in Turks and Caicos. So I have to find a donor who's willing to provide me with him or her, one of their kidneys, and then we connect and we sort out the arrangements for me to get it. We don't have a list here in Turks and Caicos. Wow. But if I, that'll be my, pro, that's my project that I, that I've been working on now, trying to find a donor. Have you gotten close or like, how do you even go about a project like that? Like, how do you even? Well, I've not gotten close yet. I uh, thought I had gotten close at one point. So I just put it out there that I'm looking for a donor on the social media. So far, two people have responded, but that didn't work out because of the requirements for the country. They had to be on national health. 
they were not residing in the country. So that didn't work out because I'm not on, I don't have any insurance. So uh, I, I, the kidney transplant will be paid for by the government, but I have to find someone that's also on the national health program. Good luck with that. Yeah, thank you. Wow, good luck with that. Wow. What advice would you have for, say there's a kid out there that's suffering from low self-esteem, maybe they lack some confidence, maybe they're just afraid, maybe they think they're creative, but they don't have the courage to share their work, or they're just afraid people are going to make fun of them. Someone with uh, self-esteem issues, what type of advice or encouragement would you have for them? Based on my experience, I, I think rather than someone, a lot of times people keep all these things to themselves and they end up suffering internally. I would recommend talk to someone. I would recommend that person or anyone who has that is facing that issue is to find someone that they trust and just talk to them about what they're going through. And I'm quite sure if that person they talk to really cares about them, they'll find a way to help them and boost their confidence level and encourage them so that they could overcome it. The key thing is they have to find someone to confide in. Otherwise, you're going to build up all of this in you and, and you're going to be suffering and sometimes take drastic measures on your own. Yeah. So basically find someone you trust to synthesize what you said. Yes. Find someone you trust and have the courage to have the tough conversation, have the courage to speak to them and tell them what you're thinking, what's going through your mind, what you're going through. And don't keep it in. Share your thoughts and feelings with someone that you trust. Yes, yes, that's, that's correct. That's that's great advice. Hey, wrapping up here, how about your five kids, right? So what type of values do you try to pass on to your kids? Okay, that's a good question. The values I pass on to my kids is to work very hard. Things don't come easy. They have to work for it. I also make sure that they that I, I pass on the legs of honesty. You have to be honest in everything you do. Don't take shortcuts. It's one of my favorite things that I, my favorite legacy is to, to have an integrity. Always live your life as if someone is watching you because sometimes we tend to do things one way in the public and privately doing something else. And of course, the truth always comes up. So that is one thing is, to, is integrity. If they have integrity, and I believe all those other values. Wow, integrity. Because you don't have integrity, you really have nothing. You have all the talent in the world money. You don't have trust, no trust, no nothing. Just to tease out what you said there. I love what you said. The truth always comes out. It might not be that moment, that year, that week, that month, but eventually the truth does come out. People get vindicated. But just to summarize, hard work, honesty, integrity. Yes. That's great. How about if everyone listening could take one lesson away from everything we discussed, what would that lesson be? I think the last one would be that you should believe in yourself. Don't let nobody think that you're nobody. Believe in yourself. Believe that you exist for a purpose and believe that good things will come to you. That, that's, I'd probably say more than one lesson, but that's what I, I would say. Believe in, believe in you. Believe in you. Great. Yeah. So Drexel, I know a lot of people that have went to Turks and Caicos and they just love it. I've never been there myself. Uh, it's definitely on my bucket list. But if someone is going to Turks and Caicos for the first time, any hidden beaches or secret gems that they have to hit that may be off the beaten path that they wouldn't know about? That's, that's a tough question for me, but I will tell you this. I, I love Grace Bay, which is the popular beach, right? Grace it's, Bay, not okay. hidden. 
Okay. It's num- in fact, it was voted the, the number one beach in the world. But there's another beach. My favorite spot in Turks and Caicos is, is Mujin Harbor. It's beautiful. Um, it's, on the, it's on the island of Middle Caicos. Okay. Middle Caicos. And, and yes. the harbor, and what's it called again? The harbor's called? M- Mujin Harbor. Mujin Harbor. Okay. Mujin mm-hmm. Harbor. It's on the? Middle Caicos. The Middle Caicos, yes. Mujin Harbor. You got it. I will go there and I'm going to Instagram a picture and send it to you, man. That is oh, awesome. Just let me know when you come into Turks. <laughs> oh, I will. No, no doubt. No doubt. We'd love to meet up. But Drexel, two more questions to be respectful of your time. Here's a fun question. If you could spend a day with any historical figure, alive or dead, who would it be? Wow. Okay. I'd probably say Nelson Mandela because of what he went through, being in prison, the struggles he faced, how he overcame it. And then in the end, he became the president of South Africa. I think I I would choose him. Wow. That's a remarkable story. Was he in prison for like 27 years or something? Was it 20? Yeah, yeah 27. The thing I read on him, uh, 27 years. He was a prisoner. And then he winds up not only getting released, becoming the president of the country that put him in jail. Unbelievable. Yeah. That is crazy. What a story. No, that's a, that's a great selection. Last question. So Drexwell, if uh, here's a, here's a fun one. Sometimes this question. Okay. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes this question works, sometimes it doesn't, but Joshua, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? Hmm. I think my quote would be, my quote would be the power of life and that is in the tongue. Could you, could you say that one more time? The power of life and death is in the tongue. Wow. The power of life and death is in the tongue. Yes. That is crazy good. Thank you for sharing that. That is that'll, that'll be, awesome. That'll be my quote. It's from the Bible. So that'll be my quote. That's a quote from the Bible. Yes. Wow. The power of life and death is in the tongue. I've never heard that before. Yeah. I think that is about as good as a spot as any to wrap up. Drexwell Seymour, yes. I'd like to thank you for joining us. Oh, I appreciate this opportunity, Joe. I uh, honor to speak with you. Uh, your story is remarkable. Starting up from lack of confidence on a little island, coming up, going to the States, graduating, graduate degree, writing a book, writing a blog, having a radio show, doing a film. Oh my gosh, you're rocking <laughs> and rolling. And um, good luck getting that kidney. Oh my gosh, I hope that, I hope that works out. That's huge. Yeah, I... I believe it will. I, I'm, I, I, I'm hoping. Yeah. If people are looking for you and your radio show and your book and your film online, where can they find you? So I have a website, www.drexwellseymour.com. Okay. And then on Facebook, I, it's my name, Drexwell Seymour. And also on the YouTube, it's, it's Drexwell Seymour. Okay. So Facebook, YouTube website. I'm going to link all of these in the show notes. And then your book's available on Amazon. Yes, it is. The book is Rise Up and Take Your Position. Uh, Really good. Very, very uplifting and some great stuff you captured there. So I appreciate you joining us. I wish you continued success. Keep doing amazing work. You're helping a lot of people. Thank you. And I wish you the best in your future shows as well.